sex talk. Derek and Miley. Cause sexuality is tough. And okay, sexist isn't good enough. No. Sex talk with Derek and Miley. Hey, folks. Welcome to Sex Talk with Erica Miley. Erica Miley here. I get the pleasure of bringing guests back to do really fun things with me. <laughs> and so I am super excited that Dr. Sarah Shavitz is back with me, love and relationship psychologist. Y'all love the episode that we did together before. And so I wanted to bring her back to introduce a new segment. Welcome, Dr. Sarah Shavitz. I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here again. So we're going to essentially do an entire episode that is dedicated to this new segment called Ask Erica. So in now that's going to be a new tradition, I'm making my guests feel awkward. And I'm asking them to do like we're I got to figure out a way to introduce this segment. And eventually, I'm sure the listeners will tell me either stop doing this (laughs) or they'll be like, this is hilarious. And I want to keep hearing guests, you know, feel awkward and say, (laughs) ask Erica in some wacky way. So on three, we're going to whisper, ask Erica. You ready? Mm hmm. And she's like, okay, fine. <laughs> <laughs> One, two, three. Ask Erica. Woohoo! Yay, <laughs> we did it. And people are probably like, this is in my ears. Stop <laughs> that. So essentially, I, w- I wanted to tackle this in a way, tackle these questions. I, I mean, y'all can send, send me questions. I know that you all send Sarah tons of IG messages <laughs> around lots of questions around relationship. That's one of the big reasons why I wanted to have you here is because I know you get a ton of questions. What's that like to just get a ton of uh, messages in your DMs on Instagram? <laughs> Yeah, DMs and comments too. I almost always just direct people to book a consultation with me because people will ask these huge questions that need so much more context to be able to answer. And there's this whole new trend of using Instagram kind of like in place of therapy, it seems like. Yes, absolutely. I've definitely experienced that as well. Actually, I just found one of my comments that is an example of that. Can I read this really quick? Oh, yes, do it. Yes. She says, I struggle really hard with wording things that match my intentions. Lately, my intention is to help my husband prepare for when I work, but it comes out as belittling. I end up Mm. saying you don't do enough, which I mean to say we need to split chores 50-50. I also keep at it in arguments when he walks away or says stop. How can I prevent this? I tried the I feel statements yesterday, but it still came out belittling. Like, I can't answer that on Instagram. (laughs) No. People. I don't know what's going on in your world. (laughs) That's right. Yes. Keep sending us questions, but also, you know what? Let's book some therapy. Let's invest in yourself. (laughs) Yes. Spend the money. Get the answers. Learn new skills. Because this is, I'm sure this is a trend from how Mm -hmm. she watched her parents interact or whoever raised her. I'm sure that there's input on her husband's side, on her side. There's a whole context that we're not hearing or seeing. And I like literally cannot give you the answer you need from that little information. 
Absolutely. And I think this this question in particular and trying to get therapy on Instagram or trying to get therapy or get advice from all of these different sources on the internet, I get that mental health therapy is has been unreachable for a lot of people, but there are a lot of ways to access therapy. And I think one of the reasons why I wanted to start this segment is I wanted people to be able to get answers from people who have been trained. <laughs> so like like Dr. Sarah Shavitz over here, who has been trained to work in love and relationships, and like myself, who's been trained in sexuality and working with relationships and trauma. Like, I want you to be able to get great information, and I want you to know that you have access to therapy. So the answers that we are going to give you today are not a replacement for therapy, but we're also going to be very, very transparent about that as we talk about these things. So let's tackle that question from Instagram that you just asked. Like, I think that's a common question. Like, should we be together? We're fighting all the time. Should we be together at all? Or how do I tackle that conversation? Yeah, I think that's a little different than what this person was asking, but it's a common question that I see in my practice where it's like, do you know, are we just not meant to be? Because we're at each other's throats constantly. We're always bickering, like maybe we just aren't good together. And the reality is every relationship goes through stages and that beginning stage, romantic love, or as the Gottman Institute calls it, limerence is, you know, just rose colored glasses. Everything's amazing. You don't see any of your partner's faults. You're so in love and everything is just like the best ever. <laughs> and the brain is responsible for that, right? Like this is brain chemistry stuff, folks. Like you can't control this. No, exactly. Like dopamine is what's giving you that elated feeling. And mm-hmm. then serotonin is dropping at that point. So that's what's causing you to obsess about your partner. And then if you're, well, even if you're not having sex, ox- oxytocin is still flowing if you're making out, oh, yeah. if you're hugging. But if you're having sex and having an orgasm, then you're really releasing some oxytocin. And, that's and that a bonding, bonding hormone. hormone. Yeah, yeah, it is so like, it is meant for us to go look at that other person and go, oh, I want to be, or I want to be next to, or I want to be touched by. Yeah, right. I mean, it's evolutionary to keep people together to raise a baby. Yes. So that the species survives. So all this stuff is beyond our control. It's instinct. It's, it's the biology, like you said, but that wears off mm-hmm. and it can wear off in as little as two days sometimes. Mm-hmm. And really like the most, it usually lasts is about two years. And then you enter the power struggle. And this is when most couples come into therapy. Or they may be like well into the power struggle. But when you start to notice, oh, I don't like this about my partner. I don't like that about my partner. I used to love how outgoing he is and how he's the life of the party. And now I'm realizing he's just really obsessed with himself and like needs Mm. attention constantly. Right? Those are two sides of the same coin. Yes. And the only thing that's changed is your perception of that person. Or and the drugs it could very in your well brain wore off. <laughs> exactly. You yeah. adjusted to the level of drugs that are in your brain. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And we don't say drugs in the way of like try to minimize. This is not an addiction. This is not any of that. It is like we were just talking about brain chemistry. And so 
we're trying to provide you all listeners out there context for what you're seeing and feeling and and what's happening. I think that's what happens oftentimes on some of these some of the advice podcasts or 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 segments in advice podcasts is that they don't they're not giving you context and they're not a- asking you to ask yourself what context do you have in your life. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so true. Yeah. So then in the power struggle, you start to notice things that are frustrating. You also start to often replay your childhood wounding in the relationship and you're trying to heal it by changing your partner who coincidentally is just like your parents. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's not a coincidence, but that like, that's the power struggle. So does it mean you shouldn't be together because you're going through that? No, you actually, every relationship will go through that. And how long it lasts and how challenging it is, is dependent on your consciousness, your skills in communication and, mm-hmm. and your shared core values. So Absolutely. I think that part's really important too. I think we should jump right into that, like values and dating, because I think a lot of the questions that both you and I get are related to two values. So oftentimes we will, I know we both get questions that should we be together or how many dates do I have to go on with a person to know if they're the person or not? Or what if they like this hobby and I like that hobby or should we not be together? It's much deeper than that. It's much deeper than a lot of that we can have a lot of like opposite interests. We can have a lot of different kinds of hobbies, but if your values fundamentally are different, then more than likely, not always, but more than likely there will be a level of conflict that will not be sustainable. Would you agree? I do. I mean, it depends on what values, but it's certainly easier to be in a relationship long-term with somebody who shares many of your values than it is for somebody who's totally opposite. Absolutely. We're seeing that so much now with the political climate in our country. Yes. It's mm-hmm. brought values to a whole different level. You know, before Democrats and Republicans, they've always had different values, but it's at a whole new level now of what it means, like what being a Democrat means in the United States at this point and what being a Republican means are, there's a lot more values intertwined with it all of a sudden than just how we, how we spend our money as a country, like what's important to spend on or who gets rights and who doesn't like there, there's a lot more about, Ugh, about a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. You, I think that's how all of us get when we start thinking yeah. about how the political climate is impacting because it's impacting all of us and how we think. I was just interviewing Dr. Emily Nagoski and we had this very similar conversation around like what values we have and how the political climate is making us turn towards them very and very, very starkly. And then we all get exhausted and want to take a nap. Yeah. Yeah. Like I think open-mindedness and acceptance have really become polarized and respect. Those two have really become polarized at this point. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So when it comes to 
like the question of should we be together? I think maybe we should like touch on what values are a little bit so that people understand that we're not talking about a specific religion. We're not talking about a specific political party. We're talking about deep held values. And I'm an acceptance and commitment therapy therapist. And for those of you who, who don't know what that is, essentially all the therapy I do is based around people understanding their own values and how those values dictate their behavior. And so one of the essential ways to think about it is that your values are perfect for you as the person who believes in them. Love it. So when you think about values that you hear couples like battle about, and and I do mean battle, like what are things that are common that you hear from, from your clients? So I think some core value differences can be freedom versus connection. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of how much space do I need in a relationship? How much freedom do I need? Yes. And in life, maybe one person wants to settle down and have kids and the other person is like, no, my core value is freedom. I don't mm-hmm. want kids. I want to be able to pick up and travel the world whenever I want and not have to worry about this or that or finding a babysitter or, or can we bring the kids there? That's a core value that it may not work together. Absolutely. And the other part is that we can't change each other's values. No, not really successfully. I think our own values can change over time. Yes. If if we change as people, but I don't know that that comes from an external source as much as it comes from you internally. You all are going to hear Sarah and I really kind of we're taking a lot of the things that we've heard from a lot of our clients and we're kind of putting it through the lens of the things that, you know, answering questions that we hear based on those like big themes we hear from our clients. And one of the many conflicts I hear is why don't you want the same things I want? And why am I not enough for you? Oh, I know that one breaks my heart because it has nothing to do with your enoughness. Yes. Just because you're not a good fit with somebody else's values and lifestyle does not mean the way that you do life is bad or wrong or who you are as a person is bad or wrong. It just means it's not a good fit. Y'all rewind that, listen to it again. And if you need it, do it again. (laughs) (laughs) That is absolutely, I really do think we take these values differences and these values conflicts and we take them and we internalize them. Or on the flip side, some people don't pay enough attention to them. Like somebody who's really open-minded and values flexibility and open-mindedness and fairness and justice is going to have a really hard time with somebody who's not open-minded and who doesn't like to have new experiences and doesn't value justice and perhaps even thinks it's all just lame stuff that hippies talk about that like (laughs) that core I actually see this in some of the couples I work with that core difference is really hard yes absolutely quick break from the action folks (laughs) action (laughs) I just want to tell you about my patreon every week I bring you guests and seriously, lots of sex nerdery. <laughs> Help me keep doing that by becoming a supporter. What do you get in return? Cool perks. For real. 
I am going to be doing shout outs, stickers, a bunch of stuff. So check it out at ericamiley.com forward slash Patreon. That's E-R-I-K-A-M-I-L-E-Y.com forward slash Patreon. I hope to see you and see more of you by becoming a Patreon. Thanks, guys. I do think we should bring into the conversation. What, what do you think? Um, because I know I get a lot of questions around online dating. And how do you think either does online dating help or hurt our ability? Or maybe it does a little both. I don't know. We'll get to the end of this conversation. We'll figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> like, does it distance us from the values search? What do you think? Yeah, such a good question. I think it really depends on how people word their profiles. And yes. Yeah. And also how people like, what do your pictures represent about you? You know, so what pictures do you choose? What wording do you choose? I highly recommend you figure out what your top three to five values are. And you put those in your profile and say, I value trust, loyalty, connection, whatever it might be, open-mindedness, adventure, freedom, whatever they are. And then somebody who values those things too is going to resonate with that instantly and go, Oh, me too. That sounds like a really good fit. Or, you know, somebody who's really growth minded, like I value personal growth. It's really important to me that I'm constantly growing and that my partner is constantly working on themselves and growing. Somebody who's not into that is going to go ill and swipe left, left is no, right? Yeah. (laughs) Swipe left. left. (laughs) You know, and so you're going to repel people who aren't a good fit. And you really want to be that, like you cannot appeal to everyone. And this is a big kind of sales technique, like sell to everyone, you're selling to no one. You need to really zero in on who am I looking for? And if I'm repelling people who aren't aligned with my values, great. That does not mean you're not good enough. That doesn't mean you're not desirable. It means you've honed in and you're sifting through people at a faster rate. Perfect. Yes, absolutely. And I think I think that people do often take that as like, oh, I'm not matching with anybody or I'm not. No, actually, you're you are allowing yourself to make choices based on your values as opposed to making choices based on just the variability that's available to you. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. And that may, may narrow your scope in a big way. And great, because it's so easy to get burned out going on way too many dates with people who aren't aligned with your values and who aren't really your ideal person. Right before we got on, we were talking about the the how everyone puts on their, on their profiles, uh, I like travel. Yeah. <laughs> and so, duh, Every we know. Every person on this planet likes travel. <laughs> it's okay to get rid of this general shit on your dating profiles folks get specific say i i value monogamy and freedom so that way you're letting people know that you're not open to the open relationships or you're not open to maybe a monogamous relationship with somebody who wants to build a family yes okay i love that people shy away from saying I want to get married and have kids in the next whatever, like three years, five years. Like I'm dating, I'm on this app to find somebody who wants to get married and build a family. 
why on earth wouldn't you say that if that's what you're looking for? Yes. Because you scare off people who aren't looking for that? Perfect. Exactly. (laughs) That's what you want to do. Oh my you don't gosh. need to go. Uh, you don't need to go on the dates with the people who are just looking to hook up because hookups are great for people who want to do them. That's why I think it's so important that you and I are even having this conversation because these are these G- these big G- big big questions we get that there are so many context variables that are needed to be considered. So I mean, to shift gears a little bit, we are one of the things that we did bring up when we were talking before was boundaries, and this was one of the things that we get asked about a lot in various ways. And I think a good way for us to talk about it is there is a recent story around the rapper T.I., who claimed on a podcast recently that he shows up and has made his daughter go to the OBGYN to check her hymen to be sure that she is a virgin in quotation marks. This is a podcast, so I'm, you know, quotation marks and with my fingers here, <laughs> like <laughs> that he can proudly say that he got her to 18 and that she's still a virgin. So this is incredibly problematic on so many levels. But the first thing you brought up and that you were just, <laughs> I just loved your first, your first. I mean, I literally I wish just I threw up in my mouth a little bit. <laughs> it's exactly right. Oh my this gosh. The There's so many boundaries I've violations. ever heard. Like I, I literally feel like tight in my chest and stomach thinking yes. about this poor girl. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, there's so many boundary issues. That's that's not even the first thing we can talk about. First and foremost, uh, the hymen doesn't work that way. Let me tell you all that. First, the idea of virginity is a social construct that has been made to essentially oppress women all over the world. Let's get that straight. Everybody, get it straight today. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain that a little bit more, though? Like, So if somebody's not a virgin, they will always have a hymen or is that not true? Or wait, so no, vice versa. Hi- <laughs> Sorry. So somebody is a virgin, the- <laughs> they'll always have a hymen or no? <laughs> the hymen is like, um, I think one of my favorite ways that I've seen this put in them, at least in the media setting, is Adam ruins everything. They did a beautiful video about this and they compared the hymen to a balloon arch. And I think that's a really kind of good way to th- visualize it in your head. It is a, it is essentially like a, a small membrane or tissue that is like the outer part when you look, if you were looking at a vagina, looking at the outside of the vulva and then a person opened their legs, you really wouldn't be able to see a hymen without actually touching a person. And it is very small and can be torn easily from lots of different things like sports, like horseback riding, like riding a bike and falling down. Like how many of us did that when we were young children? (laughs) There are lots of ways for a hymen to be torn. And guess what? There are people who have hymens. There are people who don't have hymens that still have a vulva and a vagina. So like the idea that a hymen equals whether or not you have had sex or not, is an absolute myth. It's a misnomer and it's a misinterpretation of the physical body that has been happening for a very, very long time. I want to know who this gynecologist is that's saying that's (laughs) true and I'm signing off on this disgusting display of boundary violations. 
Exactly. That it's also in our culture that even in some like mainstream, like cop shows like uh, SVU and things like that, will say, well, they did a sexual assault exam and her hymen was intact. So that means that she wasn't sexually assaulted. That is utter horseshit. Right. Utter we could have sex horseshit. and stretch but not break. Exactly. Absolutely. Or you can like it just doesn't it does not include the variability of sexual experience at all. So is a person still I mean, just to just to I mean, this is this is the kind of stuff that gets me fired up so we could be here for 25 days. Um, but like the so if you've had oral sex when you're a teenager, are you still a virgin in quotation marks? I mean, that's a personal choice, right? I, I would say there's so many different ways to define sex. How do you yes. define it? I mean, Bill Clinton made that real clear for us. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. And for you young ones who are listening, you may not know that. <laughs> he said he had oral sex, but not sex. And fine. Like there, there kind of always has been that distinction, I think, in mainstream society of sex is penetration. But then are lesbians never having sex? Right. Like, is that, is that, is that actually a thing? Sex is, we as a culture need to be looking at, at sexual health, not focus on sexual acts, because that's what something that often happens with my clients, even in like couples counseling, or, um, I work with a lot of poly people. I work with a lot of different relationship formations. And uh, when we start talking about sex, often the focus then starts to really turn hard towards sexual acts. And what I often am trying to help people do is zoom out. And I really want you to understand your sexual health as a whole. What was the last thing you were sexually proud of? Mm, I like that. And I don't think we as a culture are ever taught to value anything or value or be proud of our sexuality as a whole. Mm, yeah, that's good stuff. I wonder, like in the couples that you you interact with, do you encounter a lot of shame when it comes to, like, I'm thinking oftentimes when this conversation comes up is around infidelity. Do you encounter a lot of shame or shaming back and forth when it comes to, like, either sexual infidelity, emotional infidelity, however the person is viewing it? Oh, of course. Yeah. I mean, I just actually did a post on Instagram about rebuilding trust and I asked people to comment, like, what's been your experience of you've had a breach in trust and how have you tried to rebuild it? And people are commenting like crazy, you know, they're actually, that's where that one person commented, which was totally off topic about trust, but that's fine. Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. <laughs> but you know, another person asked, what if both partners have betrayed each other? Some people are saying like, I can't rebuild it. Once it's gone, it's gone. Another woman, this is a very lengthy comment, but looks like the summary is, she gave the relationship a second chance. He deceived her again, but she still loves him so much and is finding it hard to walk away. Ooh, that one happens a lot. You guys, if it's happening over and over and over again, this is like either an addiction, they are either sex addicts that are undiagnosed, or they are potentially have a personality disorder, oh, narcissism, and sociopath, or just really not ready for a relationship, but want 
to have their cake and eat it too. Any of those three scenarios is not a good one for you. I encourage people like that's one of the things I actually hear from clients too is I hear someone I I will often get a call from someone saying my person is a sex addict they need help here's the reality that is absolutely completely subjective and I want people to it's okay that it is subjective and so that's when I start asking questions around how do you know it and what are the feelings around it do you feel harmed do you, are you feeling betrayed? And are you labeling this person because of those things? And it's okay to ask those questions first. Before we decide a behavior is the problem, let's assess if your values are different. True. Yeah. And I think like there are plenty of assessments out there that can tell you if there's a sex addiction or not. And so get a good in-depth assessment to see if that is true. So yeah, come yeah. see me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But shame, especially around addiction, is huge. You know, you asked about shame. Also, we didn't finish talking about the boundary violations with TI. And oh, yeah. I really do want to touch on that. Yes, let's come back to that. Okay. <laughs> he should be ashamed. Full circle shame. <laughs> <laughs> I just feel like what on earth gives you the right to control your daughter's sexuality? Yes. What in the world? And for her to have to decide based on her dad's values when she's going to be sexual or not. And then to be publicized, like you brought that up when we were talking earlier. Oh my God, the embarrassment to have that in public news, that my dad is controlling my sexuality, that my dad is bringing me to a gynecology appointment. Mm -hmm. What? Can you imagine what the kids at school must be saying to her? Yeah, I imagine she's probably had to block all social media and probably had to like retreat in and probably had to do a lot of things to avoid just dealing with the aftermath of her, essentially her father making her sexual health about him. Which BT dubs is narcissism. I bet you anything T.I., is either has narcissistic qualities as many celebs do, or is a full-blown narcissistic personality disorder diagnosis. So like when your child's behavior is a reflection or extension of you to the point where you control it and, you know, really manipulate them like that, that is very unhealthy. And one of the cornerstones of a narcissistic parent is there are very few boundaries because the child is just an extension. It's like the child is your arm as a narcissistic parent. And if your arm's not doing what you want, you make it do what you want it to do. Right. Kids aren't like that. No. And I I think something that many parents will operate out of when it comes to sexual health generally is a place of fear. I'm not going to assume what TI was operating from. Who I mean, who who knows? But the one thing that I do see commonly from many, many parents, and I think this is related to the many questions that we get generally in our DMs and our email boxes is like, how do I talk to my kids about sex? And how do I do all of those things? And I think this is related to boundary violations because mm-hmm. if your child doesn't trust that you are a safe place, they will not, not ever tell you about their sexual health. You will not be the person that they go to to ask questions about what they've seen on the internet. 
You will not be the person that they go to when they see or or their friends have said something that is true or not true. Most of the time, not true. I think I was in seventh grade when some girl tried to convince me that uh, you didn't have a period in a pool. <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> but I mean, that's those. That's the kind of stuff you're trying to understand as a kid. That's what you're trying to navigate as a kid. And if your parent is consistently doing these kinds of boundary violations, then then how could you possibly get the information you need in a context that you need? Because Google doesn't care how old you are. Mm-hmm. So when you see, I think this is a good thing to think about as far as boundary violations within couples. Does conflict arise from from boundary? violations? It sure does in a major (laughs) way. I think a lot of fights in relationships are actually about boundaries. You know, how you're talking to me is a boundary, how I'm communicating with you about where I'm going and what I'm doing is a boundary. Yes. Like within sex, this is oftentimes something that I hear from my people, like the difference between your own internal fantasy life versus what you communicate to your partner. Mm, hmm. That's a boundary. Is it private? Is it private that you get to have fantasies in your own head? I personally believe you should be able to have fantasies in your own head and that you don't have to share that with every person. You do not. It's your, your narrative, your personal story is not for everyone. Agreed. And that goes with non-sexual stuff too. You don't have to share every single feeling that you have. You don't have to share every single secret that you have. You don't have to share every single value that you have on the first date. Like there's boundaries Mm -hmm. there. Yes. Ooh, first date and boundaries. Ooh, let's talk about that. (laughs) Oh, this is questions I get all the time. Like, how do I tell people these things? I actually get this question in regards to like people feeling like they need to come out about things, like come out that I am a poly person or come out that I have a chronic illness and they feel like they have to disclose a lot of things up up front. So like, I think we should address this. Like, what do you hear from your clients around like maybe some of these first dates and understanding how to create boundaries and when to hold back and when to disclose? Okay. Well, those two that you mentioned are really challenging because poly lifestyle, somebody, I I mean, I think that's something personally I would want somebody to put it on their profile because again, it's just like you're sifting through people. If they're not into poly, they're going to be turned off by that. And great. Don't waste your time with somebody who's not going to be accepting of your lifestyle. But then, you know, I guess maybe there's concerns of not everybody at work knows I'm poly or not everybody anywhere knows this. And then what if somebody sees me? So I get that there's this kind of privacy, this boundary between having your own privacy and then also being able to communicate with potential partners. So maybe if you're worried about that, it's one of your first messages, just kind of like, hey, FYI, this is the lifestyle I live. Like, If you're not into that, no worries whatsoever. I just like to be really upfront right away so that we don't waste each other's time. But then I've also heard people get really nasty messages back after something like that, where they're upfront and, and just setting clear boundaries. But, you know, people, if they can't handle boundaries, that's just more feedback for you that this is not a good fit. <laughs> and you I absolutely in. agree. This is something I'm, I am working with on my clients a lot is first and foremost, it's okay to differentiate yourself from your partner. And two, 
it's also okay to put down boundaries and stick with your boundaries. And the minute that someone is resistant to your own boundaries, that needs to be an alert to you that maybe this person has their own boundaries work to do. Mm-hmm. Yep, totally. So therapy for everyone, essentially, for that is the consensus, consensus for all of these, all of these relationship questions that we've been tackling. <laughs> I do want to tackle a couple. I did get a couple of questions um, specifically. And, you know, in this segment, I'm, I'm kind of telling people, if you want me to use a fake name, you can, you can send me a fake name or I'll come up with one for you. Just say, hey, I'd like to remain anonymous. I do have an anonymous who created their own name, an anonymous question from Samantha Cole. And this person's question is, why does my vagina sweat? Am I a freak? (laughs) So you and I can jump right into this. I can kind of like give the biology a little bit of this. So let me say, tell people the difference between a vulva and a vagina. So the vulva is essentially the outside. That is the outside when you are, if you were looking at a person who has a vulva and their legs are open, the outside part is what we call the vulva. The inside is what we call the vagina. For whatever reason, culturally, we have decided and called it vagina up until this point. <laughs> but I think people starting to understand actual physical biology so that they can understand which parts are which. So then which part sweats? The vulva sweats. Oh, see, I'm learning something here today. (laughs) (laughs) So we have sweat glands everywhere. Our feet, our hands, our armpits, our, uh, for some of us that have breasts underneath our boobs, like some of us that have their bodies that have hairy backs, their bodies that don't have hairy backs, that have sweat. We have sweat everywhere. Our butts have sweat. Not, not the inside of the anus, but the outside. We have sweat glands everywhere. Now, these sweat glands keep us cool. Guess what? Most vulvas, most of the time in clothing. So because of that, we sweat. So your vulva sweats because you have sweat glands and you are not a freak. And I think this speaks directly to that kind of that shame culture that you and I have already touched on. We have this expectation of what bodies are supposed to be. Girl bodies aren't supposed to sweat anywhere, really. Let's be real. If we're going by cultural standards. (laughs) (laughs) Right? That's the expectation. Girl bodies are supposed to be these pristine, feminine, in quotation marks, clean, never smelling, never farting, never any of those things. When in reality, guess what? We all sweat. We all poop. (laughs) We all have gas, whether y'all like to admit it or not. (laughs) Speaking of smelly things, didn't you have another interesting question about smells? Oh, yes. From the same person who wants to, again, remain anonymous, Samantha Cole. Why does my vagina smell like onions after I eat them? And I think this is really important for people to understand that the first thing Our physiology is never going to be this pristine, perfect cultural expectation that we have. It just is not going to. And so everything that we put inside our body absolutely impacts the rest of our body. We're a whole system, just like our relationships are a system. We are a system, our whole body. And so when we eat something, 
our pee can smell, the other types of excretions that we have can also smell. So if anybody, I don't know, and you don't have to share, Sarah, but for me, when I eat asparagus, my pee smells like asparagus. (laughs) Apparently, that's a genetic thing. You either have the gene for that or you don't. (laughs) Much like how when you taste cilantro, some people enjoy the taste of cilantro and some people taste soap. Yep. So interesting. It is physiological. It is not something that you can necessarily change or do any different. And please do not feel like you need to douche with harmful chemicals to get rid of smells. The vulva and vagina are wonderfully efficient at cleaning itself. So just using warm water and that's really, really, really all you need. There are some specialty soaps out there. And for those of you, there are some people who do have to use like a medicated soap because maybe they have an issue. Please, if you feel like you have an issue, go see a doctor. Go see a doctor. And if you don't trust that doctor, find another one. Okay, good stuff. So it's normal if your vagina sweat or your vulva sweats, and it's normal if it smells like what you've eaten. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) Completely normal. Completely normal. So... I, I do want to say, I really appreciate that you've been here for this this kickoff, big kickoff of Ask Erica. And so how do people find you? How do, if somebody was in your area and wanted to be a client or wanted to find you on Instagram, how, how do people find you in the world? I'm Couples Learn on all things. You can find me on Instagram at Couples Learn. You can search Facebook for Couples Learn and find me. You can go to coupleslearn.com and book a free consultation. I do online therapy, so it's not limited to location. And I'm even on Twitter, though I don't really post on there. But if you're on Twitter, you can search me at Couples Learn and you might see something every now and again. Woohoo! Again, thank you so much for being here. And folks, thank you for sticking around to the end. And go ahead and send in those questions. I'm happy to answer them here on the segment Ask Erica. And you can find me on any of the socials at Erica Miley Therapy on Instagram. I got to get all these together so that they all sound the same. You know, it's... <laughs> But it's it does not always make easy to do like that. This easier. <laughs> yeah, I uh, I am on Twitter at Mrs. Erica Miley because there's so many things that are already taken on. Yeah, all my and you have a pretty <laughs> common name, like yes, Shevitz. Not that I'm using my actual name because nobody could spell it, but like there's very few Shevitzes in this world, <laughs> right? Uh, so <laughs> you can find us in all of the socials and all of the things, and everything will be in this show notes so that if you are looking for us, you can find us. Again, thank you, Sarah. And thank you to all of you. I hope you all have a wonderful week and we will see you next time. Thank you. Thanks for listening, folks. Please rate and review on iTunes. It helps this podcast get found. If you leave a five-star review, let me know about it on any social media and I'll shout you out on the podcast. You can find my website at ericamiley.com. You can find me on Facebook, the gram, and Twitter. See y'all next time.